0: Lewis before he was C.S. Lewis. Let's talk about it with professor, historian, and author Mark Knoll on Steve Brown, Etc.
1: He's, he's an old white guy, an author, broadcaster, and seminary professor who's sick of religion. And he's brought friends. Please welcome Steve Brown, Etc.
0: We are so glad you're here, and you're going to be so glad you're here, too, because we've got a great hour set up for you. In case you're wondering, I'm Steve, the aforementioned old white guy. Matthew Porter, our executive producer, is here. You wouldn't guess it, but uh, Matthew relies on an emotional support animal, specifically a roasted
2: Thanksgiving turkey. have gotten <laughs> me through some hard times.
0: <laughs> and our producer Jinx is in his little glass booth. He just got back from a business trip to Las Vegas. Among uh-huh. uh, uh, others, Jinx, did you did you do any gambling?
3: Well, not in Vegas, but at one of my other stops, I got some sushi from a, a Seven <laughs> Eleven. <laughs> 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 That's a gamble. <laughs> our, our, <laughs> to do five states in six weeks. Our one-man <laughs> IT
0: department, John Myers, is in his tech bunker. John is thankful nothing broke here at Key Life during the Thanksgiving holiday. And uh, Dr. George Bingham is the president of Key Life. George would be thankful if you included. Key Life in your Giving Tuesday plans next week. I was, that,
3: What was that? I was going to consider them an emotional support animal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's keylife.org slash Giving Tuesday. And then, of course, Catherine Wyatt is the soft, feminine side of the program. In honor, I don't believe I'm going to read this. In, in honor of C S Lewis and Thanksgiving, Kathy has combined two classic books, The Problem of Pain and The Weight of Glory, <laughs> into the problem of weight. God bless you, Steve Brown, for doing that. You know,
1: Matthew, that was you know, that was pretty okay. All bro. right.
2: I'll take
0: that. <laughs> hey guys, we have a great guest. He's one of my heroes, but he doesn't know that. He's emeritus professor of history at Wheaton College and the University of Notre Dame. He was a Protestant missionary to those Catholics, (laughs) and we'll talk about that later. And he was named by Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. Mark has authored numerous books and the latest which I hold in my nicotine-stained fingers is CS Lewis in America Readings and Reception 1935 to 1947 That sounds dull (laughs) but it's not if you are a c.s lewis fan and i am you're going to absolutely be blown away with this book mark years ago i became a you know i started taking the c.s lewis new york c.s lewis bulletin and became a subscribing member and in those days they had a questionnaire you filled out and they asked among other things How many books did I have by and about C.S. Lewis? And at that time, I had every book that had ever been published about C.S. Lewis and by C.S. Lewis. Now, that has been a 100 years ago, (laughs) and 10 million books have been written, and I have read a lot of them. When I saw yours, I thought, well, Nothing new, but it's always fun to think about C.S. Lewis. And I got into your book, and it's brand new. Listen, you're a miracle worker in a lot of ways, and one is you're able to say and give a perspective on something new about C.S. Lewis. Were you just drinking one night, (laughs) and, and these ideas came to you?
4: Well, uh, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you on your program. Uh, How did the idea arise? Um, Like so many things in academic life, it came as a result of a request. Chris Mitchell was the director of the Wheaton College Center devoted to C.S. Lewis and his friends called the Wade Center, and he wanted to have a a colloquium, a conference, to commemorate the 50th anniversary of C.S. Lewis's death which people know was the same day as J.F. Kennedy's assassination. So 2013, would I do a paper on something having to do with Lewis's uh, influence? I was working at the University of Notre Dame at the time, and uh, because of the good offices of Notre Dame, they were employing my wife, who was a librarian, as a part-time research assistant for myself. She said uh, the job's okay, but the but the boss is. Sometimes <laughs> okay. She was able to do research on the periodicals, newspapers, and magazines that reviewed the early works of C.S. Lewis. That is, C.S. Lewis before Mere Christianity is published and before The Narnia Tales. And those, Lewis was popular beforehand, but those are the books that made him uh, super popular. I think my intent as someone who was a a C.S. Lewis reader, not really a C.S. Lewis scholar, my intent was to push past what could be called C.S. Lewis adoration to C.S. Lewis explanation. Who mm. who was reading C.S. Lewis? Why were they reading him? Which works of Lewis appealed to which uh, segments of the American population? And it turned out uh, very soon that there were real surprises, and I'm sure we'll get into those. We talk talk about the book, but it was it was an effort to to uh, put Lewis back in history. And of course to recognize his really uh superlative talents, but to try to do something historical with how C. S. Lewis was received in, in the United States.
0: You uh for those of you and you've got to read this book if you're a C. S. Lewis fan, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is. Oh, my. No, don't even go there. <laughs> but uh, this this book uh, delves into how Catholics uh, received him, how mainline media, they don't do that anymore, received him, how Protestant mainline folks received him, and how evangelicals kicking and screaming eventually received him. And it's a fun book as you begin to... Let's start with Roman Catholics. Given your teaching uh, all those years at Notre Dame, uh, they were the first to, quote, discover C.S. Lewis and to laud what he was writing. What started that?
4: Well, Lewis became uh, well-known in America after the screw tape letters appeared in the United States. That was 1943. Before then, he had uh, been known in the U.S. through uh, more academic circles. He'd published a book on Paradise Lost. He'd published a book on meet, uh, Renaissance Romance, particularly the work of Edmund Spencer and the, the Fairy Queen. And there were there were academics that included Catholics who were reading him. Once uh, the Tape Letters was published, and then Macmillan, say, noticing that many people were buying the Screwtape Letters, said, well, we've got to rush some of his other books in, into uh, uh, print. They published uh, the first or maybe even the first two of the Space Trilogy, the Ransom Trilogy. And then they began to publish also the the broadcasts that were available as booklets where Lewis, uh, during uh, the Second World War, gave short talks on the Christian faith. The Catholic uh, authors were were the ones who uh, stood with almost everybody else in in celebrating the, the screw tape letters and then the imaginative works. They were unusual, however, in that some of them saw connections between Lewis's academic work on Paradise Lost, his scholarship on the Renaissance uh, literature, and these popular Christian works directly addressing the uh, uh, 20th century. In fact, uh, certainly the most illuminating essays published on C.S. Lewis in America until we get way, maybe 1950 and following, came from a Catholic English professor at Canisius College in in Buffalo and a Catholic literature professor from Marquette University in in Wisconsin, putting together what they knew about Lewis as an academic, studying Paradise Lost, studying Renaissance literature, and Lewis as a popular apologist for Christianity in the present day. And no one really else did that. Other academics were paying a few academics were paying attention to Lewis. A lot of the public at large began to pay attention to Lewis with the screw tape letters. The Catholics were the only ones in this period who brought together the popular and the academic.
0: And those were the days when, uh, when Roman Catholics and Protestants didn't get along very much, were very critical of each other's heritage. And C.S. Lewis, in those talks you mentioned that became the book Mere Christianity, really um, rose above all of that. He said, I'm going to talk about things about which all Christians agree and their importance and how they relate to real life. And I suspect that a lot of the... A lot of the... The Roman Catholics uh, were pleased that a Protestant would say something like that. Of course, Tolkien tried to convert him throughout their uh, friendship. Never quite got there, but he was close. (laughs) Hey, guys, the name of the book is C.S. Lewis in America. Readings and Reception, 1935 to 1947. And if you like C.S. Lewis, you're going to like this book. And if you don't know Mark Knoll, you're going to like him too. Hey, this is really hard work, so we're going to have some milk and cookies rest up. Them are coming back.
2: Thanks for listening to Steve Brown, et cetera. And if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube. And if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Pod Blaster? I mean, it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the colons do it. Hi, this
0: is Steve Brown, and in case you didn't know, one of the main reasons Key Life exists is to remind believers that God isn't mad at his children. Why am I telling you this? Because our weekly email, Key Life Connection, takes the best of the videos, articles, and puts them right in your inbox. We'd love for you to try it. It's free. Go to keylife.org slash subscribe. us, as I say and mean, say often and mean always, you always have a place at our table. Uh, We're uh, talking to professor, historian, author Mark Knoll, and his latest book is called C.S. Lewis in America, Readings and Reception, 1935 to 1947.
2: Mark, as we think of C.S. Lewis, uh, you kind of just take it as a given that everybody knows him and his his body of work but like when you take a step back i never actually thought about it until your book it's like he straddles some very disparate sections of, of 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 writing you know over here is academic and apologetics very intellectual very scholarly over here just broadly accessible fantasy and 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 science fiction even um and and similarly as you've said Different groups, diff- different camps, you know, Catholics, non-Catholics embrace them for different reasons. But off air, you were mentioning that there were corners of e- uh, evangelicals, uh, Presbyterians that were like a little bit arm's length at first. I wonder if you could dive into that. What was their uh, nervousness about Lewis?
4: Sure. It's it, re- really interesting to, to see the uh, reaction to Lewis uh, focused on the same thing amongst Catholic readers, and then amongst uh, the the only evangelicals really who paid attention to Lewis were conservative Presbyterians usually associated with Westminster Theological Seminary. In their journal, there are several articles that express a great deal of appreciation for for Lewis. It's people who obviously love his his learning, love his uh, wit, love the clarity of his prose, but they're nervous because their understanding of the Christian faith is— and was, that uh, uh, believers need to trust in God first before they understand how the world works and how salvation is brought. Catholics had a different view. They thought that all humans had a kind of natural understanding at some level of good and evil in the world. And that's actually where C.S. Lewis begins some of his academic work, but also some of his work for more popular What becomes uh, the booklet that leads to mere Christianity begins by asking people, do you believe that some things are right and some things are wrong? Lewis goes on to say, "Almost everybody in the world believes that some things are right and some things are wrong. This natural understanding of right and wrong, he showed, could lead to Christian faith. That's very much similar to what Catholics from the time of Thomas Aquinas had taught about nature— being uh, corrupt and needing salvation, but nature nonetheless giving a platform for people to approach God. That, uh, as Lewis explained it, made the conservative Presbyterians nervous. So you have these two groups. They both like C.S. Lewis. They both uh, hope that his basic Christian message can be expanded and explored but one of them says, we really like the place where Lewis begins. The other says, we're nervous about the place where Lewis begins. The ones who said, we like the place where Lewis begins were Catholic reviewers who provided the most extensive and deepest understanding of Lewis in these early years of his exposure to American audiences.
0: That is so, is so insightful. Uh, I, uh, for those of you who are, who are interested and most of you are not. Uh, that is a classical argument between Reformed Calvinist and those who aren't, and it's called uh, presuppositional apologetics and classical apologetics. And, and uh, if you're ever asked that on a quiz show and you win any money, just remember, ten percent goes to Key Life. <laughs> oh, I'm
3: sorry, I fell asleep while you were explaining. Uh, Mark, uh, one of the things that uh, I really appreciated, and uh, I, I think you referenced it with C.S. Lewis, was um, his importance—the uh, importance he placed on understanding the historical setting of writings that he was analyzing—and there's a. Pretty big difference between the time when um, uh, America was first discovering Lewis and and now. In terms of, I think you put it that um, you know, Christian writers were not only expected to you know inform the Christian community, but even the general society at large. And we've come way away from that. Uh, You point out that now. Christian writing is almost suspect, not just uh, ignored, but actually more of a almost hostile reaction. Can you kind of expand on that and the importance of the historical setting?
4: Yes. I mean, we, we do live in quite a different era than the uh, 1930s and 40s when Lewis's work was uh, becoming popular in America. One of the things that other historians have pointed out, uh, George Marsden, uh, retired from Notre Dame also, uh, Alan Jacobs, literary scholar from Baylor, is that during the World War II era, general society was looking for a basis undergirding the American, the Allied sense that the Nazis, uh, the fascists were actually just pointing civilization in the wrong direction. Why was that? Well, there, there were practical economic military matters. But there were many people who said, what's the foundation? So we had in this era, era, uh, T.S. Eliot, A.H. Auden, uh, uh, several Catholic authors, uh, Jewish authors even, who, who were saying, we need a basis for our Western civilization. And Lewis's voice was one of the most prominent ones saying, it's the Christian tradition that can provide a secure basis. Remember uh, in the United States, the, the uh, ideas of, of, of Dewey were becoming uh, kind of the relative approach to pragmatic philosophy. Freudianism was a kind of vogue. And these, these were intellectual ideas that were challenging the notion that there's a basis in Christianity and Western civilization. And they were challenging the idea that you needed that, that basis. Lewis was able to articulate very powerfully that that basis still was good. And the fact that he could appeal to the general public, Time Magazine, New York Times, widely circulating newspapers, as well as the Christian public meant that that it was unusual. I do think that today that can still be done, but it requires a great deal of skill. and, And there just is not the receptivity looking for that kind of basis as there was in the 1930s and particularly the 1940s during World War II.
3: But we may get there, right? The way the news is going.
4: (laughs) Well, well, yes, I mean, you just just don't know. I think that's one of the things that uh, Lewis and other Christians pointed out. You you, you just Believers are supposed to do the work they're called to do. And in some sense, you leave to the Lord the effect that it will have. And because of the receptivity of the times, Lewis was was really effective when he was. And he continues to be. I think that's actually uh, one of the remarkable things about uh lewis's books uh mere christianity is still read uh, very widely carnian tales are still read the problem of pain is still read, and others Mm. on different tracks are still read who proclaim the straightforward christian message
0: and as our culture sinks deeper and deeper into meaninglessness darkness annihilationism it's a scary time And in scary times, scary people ask questions. And if they're asking questions, and they are, give them Martin Holes' book and one by C.S. Lewis, and they will rise up and call you blessed. (laughs) And don't go anywhere.
2: Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much.
0: Hi, this is Steve Brown, and I'm excited to tell you about a new offer from Key Life called Living with Steve. Let me tell you the way it works. I travel with you wherever you go. If you need an entertaining conversation or even a sermon, there I am. That's the good news. The bad news is that it costs a million bucks. (laughs) But wait, there's good news. You can get everything I've just described with the Key Life app. And for a limited time, it's not a million dollars. It's free. Try it now at keylife.org slash app. Professor Historian and author Mark No. Hey Mark, uh, if people want to find you online, is there a place they could go?
4: Well, I'm old enough that I I really have never gotten into uh, social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I, I can think they could certainly uh, send a note to University Press, and they they would the the publisher of the book who's done a great job with the book, and that they could communicate that way.
0: So, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of right. old in <laughs> <a little> <laughs> I get that. Listen, you don't have to explain, <laughs> but you and I have to explain
3: to everybody else. Write write a letter. This, this is, is a pen sent <laughs> by the postmaster.
1: Mark, when I was reading in um, chapter two, the like a fresh wind chapter. This is just a comment on kind of following up on a couple of things that you said. I I was just so struck. Number one, by the number of uh, I mean major. Newspapers and periodicals um, who uh, that rather commented um, about Lewis and about what he was writing and and uh, in very positive uh, in with very positive words and and struck as we said earlier struck by the fact that how on earth would we ever hope to see that same kind of thing happening nowadays? Because the media just does not seem to be remotely open-minded at all. Um, but I was really struck by that. And the other thing that I was struck by in that chapter was you were quoting a number of different individuals who at one point would say very positive things about him. And I think you've already touched on this as well, very positive things. And then almost like the next sentence, they were saying something that was negative. And I thought, that's odd, because usually, I mean, I felt like it was, because usually... You know, you read something, you think, wow I, wow, I really like this person. I want to continue to read. Or you think, no, nope, no, nope, not going to do this. And they're done. But they, there seemed to be this dichotomy or whatever of what was going on in, in the minds of people at that particular at that particular time. Was that um, – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah.
4: I'm just thinking that one of the most interesting reviews was uh, by the, the very celebrated poet and essayist, W.H. Auden, That appeared in uh, a literary journal, the Saturday Review. It was a review of Lewis's The Great Divorce. It's overwhelmingly positive, but he does pause for two or three paragraphs of of critique. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, he he, he does not like the idea that Lewis introduced the figure of Napoleon into this book, (laughs) an excellent historical figure. He did not like the, the fact that Lewis used a lizard to stand for one of the uh, mm-hmm. the evils that humans perpetuate because it demeaned the lizard. <laughs> uh, so he had he had, he had a critique, but he was overwhelmingly. Positive. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was it, it led on actually to. Uh, Auden's Episcopal minister went to uh, interview C.S. Lewis and wrote an article, one of the few articles that was not really enthusiastic about Lewis, he, he said, well, Lewis doesn't know about existentialism, Lewis doesn't seem to care about modern authors, I don't know why people like him, even though my parishioner, W.H. Auden, who's who's greatly celebrated, <laughs> likes him. And, and Lewis, when the uh, minister came to talk to him, was more interested in what Auden was doing and thinking than what the minister was doing. So. Yes, a, a, a real broad uh, appeal. Uh, the, the book ends with with Lewis appearing on the cover of Time magazine. Right, yeah. With a, uh, with, with a, a very favorable account. Henry Luce, the editor of Time, liked uh, uh, Lewis. And then, mo- mo- <laughs> really interesting, his wife, Claire Booth Luce, who had recently had a celebrated conversion herself to Roman Catholicism, for a while thought that she could bring the screw tape letters to the screen and actually purchase the uh, movie rights. It didn't work out, but, but it was it a was kind of access that you just, it's hard to imagine today. Time magazine, the leading general periodical, mm. uh, uh, focused its attention on Lewis and, and a favorable attention. Mm. He was learned. He was a great writer he could communicate, and uh, the rest he left up to the Lord. And, and those comp- that combination of traits, maybe, is what people should be pursuing today.
0: You know, I've often said when I was teaching or preaching or speaking that if you, C.S. Lewis was my hero, and if you knew any dirt on Lewis, please keep it to yourself because you need one hero. <laughs> and that always solicits a little bit of laughter. Do you think sometimes that those of us who really are fans of Lewis go too far and put him on an altar where he should not be?
4: Yes, yes, I do, actually. Uh, and I think it's it uh, works against what Lewis was trying to do, which was to use the abilities God had given him to communicate as he thought best. And certainly the example of Lewis should be that those of us who come later— ex- think about what we can offer, and we try to offer it on those terms, rather than trying to imitate C.S. Lewis. There's a lot of bad C.S. Lewis imitation around, (laughs) not as much much imitating his style, his his approach, deeply learned, deeply concerned about communication, deeply concerned about fresh, uh, sparkling writing. Those are the kinds of things that would be good for believers today to imitate
0: and be careful. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a human being like everybody else. He had a fallen nature like everybody else. He was uh, and would have been the first to be horrified when you worship as he old. So try to keep that in mind. I'm preaching to myself.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the book, by the way, by Mark Knoll is C.S. Lewis in America. Readings and reception 1935 to 1947. If you like C.S. Lewis, you're going to love this
4: book.
2: Hey, thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc., and if you're enjoying the show, chances are your friends and family would too, right? So help us spread the word by sharing a link, clicking subscribe on YouTube, and if you think about it, drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere. Hey, is there one called Podblaster? I mean it feels like there should be, right? But like no E in Blaster. Just Blaster. Blaster. Anyhow, that's how the Colons do it.
4: When Christ promised we could live life to the full, He didn't just mean eventually in heaven, because Jesus didn't come to save us from our humanity, but to restore it. Life with a capital L. Find it now on keylife.org slash store.
2: What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store.
0: We're so glad you're with us and we're talking about C.S. Lewis who once wrote, To love at all is to be vulnerable. <laughs> Which, of course, was Lewis' way of saying don't forget to subscribe to the weekly key life email <laughs> so do it for yourself do oh, it that for c.s lewis now wait and and visit keylife.org slash subscribe that is so bad i listen i didn't write that i just read it, hey, listen. it shameless.
1: um mark i'm gonna say something that's probably not even true but as i read through this and i and i'm becoming more familiar a little bit with the timeline of of Lewis's earlier works. And then later on, it seems like the original or the earlier stuff was designed for more for the smarter people, the academics and, you know, that kind of thing. So later on down the road, it was like just the average, you know, John Q. Public or whatever kind of thing. When you get into Mere Christianity and and of course the Chronicles and that kind of thing, was was it that stuff the those books that really propelled him a, across the uh, across lines to the greatest amount of his popularity? And also on that note, was that when his popularity in the U.S. got um, got bigger?
4: Right, exactly. I mean, he he is known uh, to a small set of academics who appreciate his work uh, in the 1930s. It's with the publication of the Screw Tape Letters, which came out a year later in America than in England. That made him really popular. And then then it was even later that the booklets were pulled together to uh, form mere Christianity. And then beginning in 1950 or 51, when the Narnia Tales were published, it became uh, really popular. You do mention his ability to talk to ordinary people. I think there's a good story there and one that shows that Lewis could learn and be critical of himself. He was asked right at the start of the Second World War to bring addresses to uh, uh, training centers for for troops. And he reports that he he, uh, did this kind of work and the first few times just bombed Hmm. disastrously. Because he was talking to the recruits as if they were a, a common room at Oxford University, one of the colleges. And he he was successful in changing how he spoke without changing the basis from which he spoke. In other words, he, he kept a very clear sense of, as Steve said earlier, the Christian basics. He wasn't trying to make anyone an Anglican, a Presbyterian, a Catholic, or Pentecostal. But he was presenting the Christian bases, but he was doing it in a way that could communicate to people who did not have an education. He later wrote an essay in which he said he thought it would be a great final exam for a seminarian Mm. to write about Mm. a complicated Christian doctrine in words of one and two syllables that everyone could could understand. So Mm. he had Mm. to learn how to keep the foundation of real deep learning, and yet to be able to communicate in ways that could address a population at large, and, oh, and obviously he learned his lesson. Although it's worth noting, he kept writing some academic. His, mm-hmm. his major academic work was a history of English literature <clears throat> in the 16th century without drama, and it's only published, I think, in 1954 or 1955. So he kept he kept that mm-hmm. going even while he was addressing the public at large.
0: He, uh, by the way, paid a price for his uh, popularity among some of his colleagues. I would file it under jealousy, but uh, they filed it under something else. And that affected Lewis. I mean, he, um, he winced at that. And I find that kind of winsome, kind of attractive that he did. I understand that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're popular. Everybody resents it. I mean, yeah. you can identify with Lewis. So, uh, <laughs> no, no. I know. No, I got it. I'm I gotta, gotta, saying that. No, I'm I, gotta, I, no I think paper. we all heard that.
1: <laughs> I heard it.
2: <laughs> so, I get God, no I'm respect around here. <laughs> it was just there. Uh, Mark, I, obviously with 35 to 47, that that's, those are the years that the book is concerned with. And uh, the Narnia books came post that. But just Just curious. How those landed in the states? Obviously, they're very popular now. But you know, social mores are different. You know, for for Christians in general, was fantasy something that was like, oh, this is kind of dangerous? Or at that time, was it like, yeah, baptized imagination? This is all you know, allegorical. We welcome this. Is there any kind of consensus around that kind of reception?
4: I, yes, I think they think there is. I I do think the the imaginative. Uh, Works that were shown first, actually, for the first book that Lewis published was in 1934, 35 in the US. The Pilgrim's Regress was a kind of allegory of how he had actually become a, a Christian. Did not receive a whole lot of attention, in part because it was actually very learned, but also because of the medium. And when he, he did publish the, the screw tape letters and then the uh, space trilogy, the Ransom trilogy, there was nervousness. But I think because of the success of Narnia, and then, of course, even the greater success of the the Tolkien's work, then the the Christian world thinks of fantasy as a a good vehicle for expressing some basic Christian uh, truth. And again, as I I mentioned before, I think some of those who have written Christian fantasy— have done well and some who have done that have not done <laughs> well. Sorry for the, you. the genre the the, the 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 method was accepted mm. but sometimes with good results and sometimes with bad results. Uh,
3: Mark uh, we've referenced Tolkien a couple of times and uh, and also uh you know uh Lewis's effort to be, as you summarize it, deeply learned, theologically focused, and unusually creative. But he he uh, attempted those things, but had a group of uh, people that he, you know, bounced his writings off of. Talk some about the the helpfulness right. of that group.
4: Right. Well, Steve, has that, Steve has mentioned that uh, he did receive quite a bit of critique and, and envy and just a uh, uh, lack of understanding from academic college. But he did have a smaller group, uh, maybe 10 to 15 people that met uh, regularly, that he heard from and who would tell him that what he'd written was crap if they thought what he'd written was crap. <laughs> uh, they, they, met, uh, they met over uh, drinks uh, once a week or a couple of times a week, and that might have loosened a few tongues. <laughs> but but yes, yeah, uh, Lewis was keenly aware that if you thought of yourself as somehow godlike in what you wrote you were in real trouble and i actually closed the book with a poem that lewis wrote about the dangers of someone who seems to succeed as an apologist and it's it's a very humble poem about that's the most dangerous point for a christian for a person speaking for christianity you think you've been a success and you what you should realize is that any success you've had is due to the grace of god working through
0: the instrument that you have become. Mm. Mark, wow. we're out of time. I don't know what happened to this hour. It just flew by. We appreciate very much you writing this book but also taking an hour out of a very busy schedule and spending it with us. Uh, hope we Thank can you. Hope we can do this again. The book C.S. Lewis in America. Readings and Reception, 1935 to 1947. They're better titles. That sounds boring, and it is anything but. Get this book and (laughs) read it.
2: Thanks for listening to Steve Brown, etc. And if you're enjoying the show, would you help us let others know about it? You can share a link, click subscribe on our YouTube channel, or drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks much. What if you could start your day by hanging out in God's Word and with some of the most significant theologians, authors, and pastors ever? That's the idea behind the one-year devotional, God With Us. Find it now on keylife.org slash store.
3: This is Pete Owinson, and if you're a guy, I want to show you how to recover and reclaim an intimate, growing relationship with your Heavenly Father. Check out, like Father, like Son, how knowing God as Father changes men. Available now at keylife.org slash store.
2: Believer, I want you to remember that where sin abounds, grace does much more
0: abound. And you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Grace, the real good news of the gospel. Find it now on keylife.org slash store. Things about doing a program like this is that I get a chance to spend some time that I ordinarily wouldn't be able to spend with some of the people that I have admired from the distance. And Mark Knoll is certainly one of those. I'd met him before, but never been able to sit down and talk. And his insights are amazing uh, in a lot of areas and not just this one. He's been faithful. He's lived on the edge, but he's been faithful to the primary verities of the Christian faith in the midst of his scholarship and the places where he worshiped and the places where he taught. And that was true of C.S. Lewis. Uh, One of the things that I love about C.S. Lewis is, of course, what he wrote. And I've read almost everything that he wrote, even some of the academic things. And I'm And I'm very appreciative of the gifts that we've been talking about over the past hour. But there are things about C.S. Lewis that are different than that. For instance, he made a whole lot of money. And he gave away a whole lot of money. And nobody ever knew it. People were in need and they would get a check from him or money from him. And it was never reported. It was never waived. It was never in the press, and people didn't know it. And the way he took time to write to anybody who wrote, he answered every letter that had ever been sent to him. And uh, there is a book that you might want to read sometimes called Letters to an American Lady. Nobody is a nobody, but if you were going to use a colloquial description, The lady to whom he wrote, and her name is never given, is a nobody. She's not somebody that could do anything for C.S. Lewis or help him or sell books or any of that. And yet, over all those years, he kept that correspondence going. And I see that, and there are a pile of other things about Lewis that are like that. But even with all of that being said, I must be careful and you must be careful too. Because we have a tendency as human beings and sinful to create idols and to pray and and kneel before those idols. And nobody belongs on that altar except God. And so remember that C.S. Lewis was used and he would say ditto of what I'm saying. Who's going to be on next week?
1: Next week, our friend Ray Ortland is going to be with us um, Mm -hmm. who's been with us before and he's got a great new book out. I'm anxious to look at it read it. It's titled, You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Weary Churches.
0: It's going to be great. (laughs) Hey, you guys, join us, same time, same place next week. Between now and then, don't do anything we wouldn't do and that gives you a wide, wide berth. <laughs> which you'll need after Thanksgiving. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and speaking of Thanksgiving.
3: The glorious day. Yeah, I now need
1: listen. It. I, need, I need some ideas.